Good morning, my name is Karen and I'm going to be leading us with our Bible reading this morning which comes from Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 30. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. So everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Thanks a lot, Karen. Um, if you were here three weeks ago, you'd say, oh, we've heard this Bible reading before. You have. Uh, it's because today is sort of the second part of that sermon that we started, that we said we want to talk about generosity. What does it mean to live generously? How does God want us to use our money, our possessions, what does he want us to give, keep, all that sort of stuff? And so we broke, we broke it down into two parts. The first one that we looked at three weeks ago, we, we called the, the, the heart of generosity. And it, it sort of dealt with, I, I'll do it again, I'll, I'll do the little illustration again, 
just for those who weren't here, because it's important to get it if you want to get what I'm doing today. I had three chairs out here, um, and I noticed afterwards someone pointed out to me that it says down here, do not stand on these chairs. Now the question is now that I know that, will I do it again today? <laughs> I will, because otherwise it doesn't work. Um, we said, we said the, the, the guts of last message was that the extent to which you trust God is the extent to which you can be generous. The more you trust God, the more generous you can be. The question we want to ask is not how much should I give, it's how much should I trust God? God wants us to trust him. Like I trusted this chair, which I shouldn't stand on, will hold me up, right? And what we do is we often in our life then shift the weight of our trust onto other things. Money is one of them, but there are many other things. And we said, look, you can't avoid having a foot on all the other chairs. You've got to work with your money. You've got to make decisions of it. It's not like you can totally say, I'm just going to not ever worry or think about work or money or anything like that. But the challenge is, you've got to keep the centre of your weight on God while you do all these other things. While you work with your money, the question always is, what would happen if the chair that I rest on gets kicked out from underneath me? Will I tumble completely down to the ground? What if God takes all my resources away from me? Will I be destroyed? Or will I just struggle, but really, I trust in God? Not in what I have. The issue is that God wants our trust. That's what he wants. That's the starting point. If we want to talk about generosity, we've got to talk first about trust in God. Today we're going to move to the second part of this message, which is, okay then, but I trust God, but what do I do with my money? We're now going to talk about the hands. Give me some practical advice. What does it look like in my life, what I should do with my money, how I should move this other chair with my foot that I don't rest on, but I've got to still have a foot on it and move it and shape it and, and, and all that sort of stuff. That's what we're going to do today. Um, I'll give you two points. Both are from a man called Rod Irvine who wrote a book called Giving Generously. It's a very good insight for Christians as a guide in terms of how we ought to give and our leadership team and our church, in fact, have been highly influenced by it in years gone by, long before my time. So I am indebted to Rod Irvine for what I'll say. He didn't say what I'm going to say today word for word, but I certainly give him the cred for giving these insights. So, here we go. Uh, the question we have to ask ourselves is not how much should I give. The question is, how do I grow my trust in God? Here's the first of two points in how you grow your trust in God. Whoops. Ooh, Phil, is this last time's slides? Did I email this week's? Sorry? Yeah, okay, well, maybe we don't have slides today. All right, you're going to go old school today. Listening. <laughs> no seeing. All right, we'll, that's okay. We'll keep the reading up there. Um, yeah, just have the Bible reading for us up there, Phil, and you guys can scroll along if, if that's possible, and I'll just talk to that. All right. 
Number one, listening carefully. You start growing your trust in God by giving a tithe of 10% of everything you earn. I'll say that again. You start by growing your trust in God by giving a tithe of 10% of everything you earn. What is a tithe? If you're new to church, if you're new to God and faith and all that sort of stuff, it's a donation, really. It's a gift. Particularly a gift that you give to something that God wants you to give to. Right? And you'd say, well, that's quite specific. 10%, um, I don't know how that figure strikes you or does not strike you, but where do you get that from? It's a good question. All right, let's do a quick survey. And again, if you're new to church, stay with me. This is not critical that you have to remember all this, but just to show that it comes from somewhere. It really comes from the Old Testament part of the Bible. God has asked his people all throughout the times before Jesus, he was quite specific for them, as we read in the Bible, that they would give a tenth of all that they kind of produce, whether it's, you know, uh, these are agrarian sort of societies, whether it's wheat or grain or animals, God would say, give a tenth of that to the work of the temple for the church of the day so that it can fulfill its purpose. We have then reason to believe that it was more than just strictly 10% because there were different kind of tithes. There was a Levitical tithe, there was a temple tithe, and then there was a charity tithe, and there are all Bible verses that sort of uh, speak to them. We can actually think that not only did they have to give a tenth, there was probably some scholars reckon about 23% of all they earned if they did everything that God said, 23. So, so, so it starts with, okay, here you've got your 10 bread rolls, one, you give it. And then it looks like in the Old Testament it might even have been more, it might even have been two, might even have been two and a half, right? But at least 10, 10%. And the Pharisee in our reading said the same, didn't he? God, I'm so good, look at me, I give a tenth of all I earn. But then Jesus comes, Jesus fulfills this whole Old Testament community. He launches the church, of which you're now a part of, if you believe in Jesus. And he tells us what about what we should give? Nothing. <laughs> doesn't give us specifications. He says, nothing. It's, it's, so, it's, so, so it's like the baptism thing, you know. Jesus just kind of, in terms of giving us details, is he's, he's, he's often very, very challenging to us because he doesn't give prescriptions, right? Yes, there's instances of the church taking up collections where they give special gifts to people who are poor. Yes, there's instances where it mentions that it's right for the church to pay pastors and all that sort of stuff. But there's that mention of what a Christian should do what a child of God should do with their money in terms of how much they should give. So you'd be quite right in asking me the question, why on earth are you telling us today that if we want to grow our trust in God, we should give a tenth of everything we earn? Jesus didn't say it. We don't live in the Old Testament, we live in the New Testament. Why are you saying that to us? It's a great question. It's a critical question. Let me tell you why I'm not saying it to you. 
I cannot be more emphatically clear that I'm not saying to you today that unless you give 10% of all you earn to the church, that you can't be a child of God or that you can't be a member of Pathway to Life. Okay? Reject that outright. (laughs) You're a child of God based on the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ. That's it, right? Church is not like a a club where we check your fees. And by the way, for the record, if you're new to church, uh, you might wonder how all this works. I have no idea who gives what in this church. I don't see the books. (laughs) I also don't work for commission. (laughs) I work for for, um, an agreed with you all and you approve it and all that on on a salary, okay? So that's good too if you're new to church. Often people wonder. Nothing like that at all. You're not a member of this church and you're not a member of the family of God by way of what you give. It's wrong when churches expect that. They have in the past. Governments have even expected of people in the past. It's even been legislated in the past in other countries, in history, all over the world. And it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Why is it wrong Now, I know that I'm building a tension in you because I'm telling you to do it, but I'm telling you it's wrong (laughs) for me to say that you should do it. So so let me, bear with me because it's tricky and complicated. It's wrong, first of all, to legislate this because, firstly, there's a very small minority of people who can't do it and who shouldn't do it. We think of starving people who are children of God in the developing world. I think of you, perhaps, And me, perhaps, when we go through seasons of life where that's not possible, there's a very small minority of people who, for a very small portion of their life, cannot do it. Now, I'm a little careful here because I don't want to let people off the hook very easily. Right? These were peasant farmers who had nothing almost in the Old Testament. They were expected to do it. (laughs) There's a wonderful story in the New Testament of a widow who had basically nothing. She comes to the temple and she makes her tithe. And Jesus says, she is more righteous than any of you wealthy people. You might be on welfare, you might be a single parent, you might be a student and say, look, I I get 10 bucks a month pocket money. Think about considering a dollar of that to go into a tithe. Okay? Okay? Careful of who you apply the exceptions to. Be very careful to apply it to yourself. But, nevertheless, there are minorities who cannot give it 10%. That's the first reason why it's wrong to legislate it. There's another reason why it's wrong to legislate it. And it has nothing to do with the minority and everything to do with the majority of people. There's a majority of people here today, perhaps, who can and should consider giving much more than 10%. Right? You see, the problem is, I'll talk about myself here, I'm selfish. <laughs> I'm stingy. I'm a, I'm a greedy brute at heart. I don't naturally want to give my money away to God and God's purposes for his world and his church. I don't want to do that. So I can say to myself, you know what, Jesus said nothing. 
about how much I should give. I'm just going to give what I can, when I can, what I want to. I'm not going to take a tenth. I'm, I'm just really going to say, look, you know, this was a good year, I'll do a bit. If this was a good month, I'll do a bit. If things went all right this month, I'll, I'll just kind of do that. Statistically, do you know how much people actually give towards the work of the church in Australia on that basis? Make a guess. Throw a percentage out at me. Anyone? Close. Three. This is how much you're going to end up giving. Because the truth is, because of how we're wired and how selfish and greedy at heart all of us are, we're always going to end up giving less. We're never going to give up any more. Right? So there's a helpful guideline. It's not a law. It's not something that's enforced. It's not something that ever should be legislated. But we look at the way that God's people work in the Old Testament and we can say, hey, this is a good starting point for us. Unless we sort of put into our own lives a certain sense of self-discipline and say, no, you know what, I'm going to be deliberate about this. This is the starting point. I'm going to start with giving this. It's not negotiable. Uh, It just happens. I'm deliberate about it, and I know that by applying a certain discipline to myself, I'm going to be making a good start at being generous. Now let me move on to the next point, and the water gets sort of a little bit deeper here. The other problem with stipulating a percentage and why I believe Jesus will not give us a figure in the New Testament is this. Let's imagine Jesus did say, every Christian, every child of me should give 10% of what they earn. Here's what I'm going to do. You think about what you want to do. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, all right, Jesus said, not the Old Testament, Jesus said, I should give... 10%. Then comes the time when a family member is in desperate need and they ask if I can help financially. Pathway to Life is saying, we're doing Pathway Shed. This is a new thing. We've got to invest in this. It's going to cost a lot of money. A friend is asking me for help financially. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, well, I've already done my tenth. I'm done. I don't have to help. I don't have to give. Or I might say, well, how about I just dice this up a bit, you know, and all right, you have that, and you have that, and <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Are you? Would you, be, would you be similar to me? I, I bet that many of us, would. And further to that, what I'm also going to do is I'm going to relish it. When I can then look, we live in a capitalist society, right? We always look at increasing what we earn and say, I want to earn more. So not only am I going to have 10 bread rolls, I want to expand my business or take a bigger job and do a lot more to increase my wealth and invest a lot more. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to take still 10% out of my now 20 bread rolls, not just 10, and I'm going to say to myself, this is fantastic, because what I've done is I'm still giving 10%. In fact, everybody wins here. 
don't they? Church wins, they still get their 10% because that's what Jesus said I should give, right? That's what I would tell myself. The old Republican saying that all boats go up in a rising tide, the church got their two, and I got my 18. But it's okay. And so I'll just keep adding and adding and adding, and everybody wins, right? No. Because I tell you, the one thing that does not win, your trust in God is not winning. Did you hear the words that Jesus said to that rich man? I'll cry now, Ryan. It's really, well, Ryan's not even here. It's so stinging. Did you hear what he said? He said to him, it is, I'm paraphrasing, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How do we enter the kingdom of God? We trust God. You trust him. You trust nothing else. You live for no one else. Nothing else in your life is of greater value and importance to you. Is this helping you with that? It's not. The more money you have, the harder it is for you to trust God. It's as simple as that. It's a stinging, searing comment that Jesus gives about this young man. It really is. But then he gives such wonderful hope, doesn't he? He says it'd be harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but, but I can do it. I can help people. <laughs> I'm, I'm a God of grace. I take camels and I pull them through the eyes of needles. I shape them to become people who trust me more, to love me more. And that's really the second point. It goes something like, not only do you start growing your trust in God by giving 10%, you continue to grow your trust in God by taking out of all your wealth what you need to live the life that he's calling you to live and you give the rest away. For his purposes. Can I say that again? How do you grow your trust in God? You take from all your wealth or money what you need. Let's say I need, let's say I'm doing pretty well here, I'm getting pretty wealthy. I go, look, I need, and I'll talk about a bit more about this in a minute, but I need four roles to live, really. Um, you know what? No, I'm going to make it comfortable. I'll make, I'll make it six or seven. This is what we need for what God is calling us to do. For me as an individual, for us as a family, and to do it without being fretful or nervous or stressed about money, living securely financially with the basic needs that a human being needs. And then I'm going to take the rest of the, what are the maths here, people? 20 minus 8. No, 20 minus 7. 13, yeah? I've got 13 bread rolls left. Thank you, Pete. Struggle with that one. <laughs> Math's not my thing. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to give all that to Pathway to Life Church, but I'm going to look at how I live my life and say, what is the purpose of my business? Is it to actually improve the community in which we live? Yes, I'm going to put some money into that. I'm going to put some money into blessing my staff. Yes, I'm going to give not just two to Pathway to Life, I'll just give four to Pathway to Life. 
Yes, I also want to do world vision and really invest in that. You see, that's a better way to generate wealth. There's a story in the Bible that's called the parable of the rich fool. And this gets to one of the questions I want to talk about. Is it wrong to generate profit or to generate wealth? It's not the right question you should ask yourself. The question you should ask yourself is, what's the purpose of this profit? What's the purpose of this wealth that I am generating or trying to generate? The story of the rich fool is he does so well. He's super successful in his business and then he fills his barns and he sits down and he says to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink and be married. Merry. And God said to him, you fool. You fool. You're an idiot. That's not the purpose of your life. It's not the purpose of your wealth. <laughs> it's not the purpose of your wealth at all. Think about that grain that you've made. Think about how it is supposed to bless other people. Take for yourself the cut to live securely and, and happily and healthily. But the purpose is to bring glory to God. God is not anti-profit. God is not anti-excess. Oh, that God would call some people in this church to amass exceeding wealth and profit and excess for his kingdom's sake. May he do that. He's maybe calling you if you have the gifts and the skill and the talent. But why? What's it for? Who is it for? Is that the purpose of it? Or is it for yourself? No way that Jesus is going to stipulate to each person individually what it should be. Oh, sorry, uh, corporately. Individually he will. And this gets me to the second question I'll ask about this point. This is the question of how much do I need? You know, that's such a subjective question, isn't it? Against what standard? Against the world poverty line? Against the Australian median income? Against, I don't know, how do you, how do you measure that? Again, Jesus is so unique in how he deals with people. He, he doesn't give us a standard line. In fact, we see him all throughout the New Testament. He makes different demands or expectations. There's a widow in Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44, that I just said she put a two cents in because she only had two bucks. And he goes, praise God. Right? Zacchaeus is another tax collector guy. Comes to Jesus. Jesus puts his trust in Jesus rather than his enormous wealth that he had. And he says, after all that, I'll give half of what he owned to the poor. And then he paid compensation back for those he ripped off. That was good enough for Jesus. Zacchaeus just said, I'll just take half. You know, I'm going to give 10 away. And I'm going to keep 10. Jesus said, that's fine. No problem. <laughs> right? The rich young ruler, Jesus said, I think for a particular reason, you're going to have to give it all because Jesus wants to get to his heart. So there's no consistent approach. The better question that I simply encourage you to ask yourself is, what is the life that God is calling you to live? Wrestle with that. Once you wrestle with that, your question about how you're going to spend your money, that's just going to resolve itself. It's, it's not all that hard. Let the Spirit guide you on 
is this what I'm put here for? Is this, is this the life that God has called me to live? The greater you grow in that, and the more your trust in him grows, the more it's going to affect how you work your money. Organically, naturally, I almost want to say. Let me now wrap up for us by taking us to the sort of the end of the passage in Luke. Did you notice the disciples towards the end, they, they kind of look at what happened with this rich man and they go, Jesus, we have left everything we had to follow you. They, they literally go, you know, Jesus, we did this. We, what, sorry, no. This. <laughs> they said, I'm not going to keep anything, you know. Um, we, and they did. In their case, and, and, and God asked some people to do this, right? In their case, it was everything. Business, family, hometown, you name it. All of it. We left it. And they go, what about us? I think what's underneath their question is, is really this, same question you and I wrestle with. Will it be worth it? So I think we're afraid often of being generous. We go, will it be worth it to live this sort of life? Will I regret it? Will I one day be sorry that I did it? That's the question. And here's Jesus' answer to them and to us today. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Just pause there. Jesus is not anti-family. He's not telling you to leave your family. He's simply saying that whoever has sacrificed whatever for the sake of the purposes of God, here's what he says, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Generous people, people who trust in God, will be rewarded in this age. Not with more money. There are some Christians who teach that the more you give to God, the more money he'll give back to you. It's not that. Your rewards are different even in this age. I like to think about what this means, but here's what I think it means. Have you ever met a generous person who is grumpy? I haven't. They're joyful people. Have you ever met a generous person who is, who is lonely and isolated, who is not respected and loved? You haven't. Because generosity carries with it a certain sense of joy. It breeds it. You become a selfless person who ironically you think would be more miserable because you gave more away. It's the exact opposite. I think we receive that already in this life. We know that. Even each of our acts of generosity, which we've all displayed in our life, we know to get back to the question that they were worth it. Right? I don't think anyone will ever get to the end of their life and go, I regret being so generous. What a shame. And then Jesus says, you will fail, won't fail to receive many times as much in the age to come. 
eternal life. Jesus is not saying you can buy eternal life. He's saying those who trust me will have eternal life. How you spend your money reveals how you trust God. And that determines where you'll spend eternal life, to be frankly honest. (laughs) Will it be worth it? It'll be worth it. Here's the last reason why, and that sets us up for the Lord's Supper. Why should you give your bread to God? Because you know and I know that in the Lord's Supper, Jesus, the bread of life, all the bread of life came down and he gave you all of him, all of him. Not a tenth, not a twentieth. He's not like Gershom's son last week, if you're here. A part of whom was needed. All of him was needed. And he gave it. We get into eternity and we say, Jesus, <laughs> it was so good to have been made. Like you. You who gave all. Yes. Make me one who gives all. Because I understand this morning as I take the bread, I take the wine, that I have all of you. Absolutely all of you. And so as you take the bread this morning, I I pray that what it would do is not take you to the issue of money. I pray that it yet again would take you to the issue of trust, to the issue of gratitude, to the issue of thank you so much that you are a generous God, that you gave and you didn't give partially, you gave all. And from there, may God shape us May he change us, each of us, from wherever we are individually in how we respond in using our money, our time, our bodies, our gifts, our talents, all of it. Will you pray for us? And then we hand out the bread and the wine. Jesus, you are an all-giving Lord and Saviour, brother and friend. You've loved us in such a way. I pray this morning as we participate in the Lord's Supper, as we take the bread, as we take the wine, that we would once again be reminded but also strengthened. May our trust in you be strengthened. May it be nourished. May we leave from here saying, yep, I want to be a person who trusts you more. How can I do it? Whether I'm 13 or whether I'm 83, how do I do it? I ask for it, pray for it, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right.